Section 20 of Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838 to 1839. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838 to 1839. By Francis Ann Kimball. Section 20. It is Wednesday, the 20th of March. We cannot stay here much longer. I wonder if I shall come back again, and whether, when I do, I shall find the trace of one idea of a better life left in these poor people's minds by my sojourn among them. One of my industries this morning has been cutting out another dress for one of our women who had heard of my tailoring prowess at the rice island. The material, as usual, was a miserable cotton, many-colored like the scarf of iris. While shaping it for my client, I ventured to suggest the idea of the possibility of a change of the nethermost as well as the uppermost garment. This, I imagine, is a conception that has never dawned upon the female slave mind on this plantation. They receive twice a year a certain supply of clothing, and wear them, as I have heard some nasty fine ladies do their stays, for fear they should get out of shape, without washing, till they receive the next suit. Under these circumstances I think it is unphilosophical, to say the least of it, to speak of the Negroes as a race whose unfragrance is heaven-ordained, and the result of special organization. I must tell you that I have been delighted, surprised, and the very least perplexed by the sudden petition on the part of our young waiter, Alec, that I will teach him to read. He is a very intelligent lad of about sixteen, and preferred his request with an urgent humility that was very touching. I told him I would think about it. I mean to do it. I will do it, and yet it is simply breaking the laws of the government under which I am living. Unrighteous laws are made to be broken, perhaps, but then, you see, I am a woman, and Mr. Blank stands between me and the penalty. If I were a man, I would do that and many a thing besides, and doubtless should be shot some fine day from behind a tree by some good neighbor who would do the community a service by quietly getting rid of a mischievous incendiary. And I promise you in such a case no questions would be asked, and my lessons would come to a speedy and silent end. But teaching slaves to read is a finable offense, and I am femme couverte, and my fines must be paid by my legal owner, and the first offense of the sort is heavily fined, and the second more heavily fined, and for the third one is sent to prison. What a pity it is I can't begin with Alec's third lesson, because going to prison can't be done by proxy, and that penalty would light upon the right shoulders. I certainly intend to teach Alec to read. I certainly won't tell Mr. Blank anything about it. I'll leave him to find it out, as slaves and servants and children and all oppressed and ignorant and uneducated and unprincipled people do. Then, if he forbids me, I can stop. Perhaps before then the lad may have learnt his letters. I begin to perceive one most admirable circumstance in this slavery. You are absolute on your own plantation. No slave's testimony avails against you, and no white testimony exists but such as you choose to admit. 
some owners have a fancy for maiming their slaves some brand them some pull out their teeth some shoot them a little here and there all details gathered from advertisements of runaway slaves in southern papers now they do all this on their plantations where nobody comes to see and i'll teach alec to read for nobody is here to see at least nobody who's seeing i mind and i'll teach every other creature that wants to learn i haven't much more than a week to remain in this blessed purgatory in that last week perhaps i may teach the boy enough to go on alone when i am gone thursday twenty first i took a long ride to-day all through some new woods and fields and finally came upon a large space sown with corn for the people here i was accosted by such a shape as i never beheld in the worst of my dreams it looked at first as it came screaming towards me like a live specimen of the arms of the isle of man which as you may or may not know are three legs joined together and kicking in different directions this uncouth device is not an invention of the manxmen for it is found on some very ancient coins greek i believe but at any rate it is now the device of our subject island of man and like that set in motion and nothing else was the object that approached me only it had a head where the three legs were joined and a voice came out of the head to this effect ah missus you have to take me out of this here bird field me no able to run after birds and every night me lick because me no run after them when this apparition reached me and stood as still as it could i perceived it consisted of a boy who said his name was jack the bird driver i suppose some vague idea of the fitness of things had induced them to send this living scarecrow into the cornfield and if he had been set up in the midst of it nobody i'm sure would have imagined he was anything else but it seems he was expected to run after the feathered fowl who alighted on the grain field and i do not wonder that he did not fulfil this expectation his feet legs and knees were all maimed and distorted his legs were nowhere thicker than my wrist his feet were a yard apart from each other and his knees swollen and knocking together what a creature to run after birds he implored me to give him some meat and have him sent back to little st simon's island from which he came and where he said his poor limbs were stronger and better riding home i passed some sassafras trees which are putting forth deliciously fragrant tassels of small leaves and blossoms and other exquisite flowering shrubs which are new to me and enchant me perhaps all the more for their strangeness before reaching the house I was stopped by one of our multitudinous jinnies with a request for some meat and that i would help her with some clothes for ben and daphne of whom she had the sole charge these are two extremely pretty and interesting-looking mulatto children whose resemblance to mr blank had induced me to ask mr blank when first i saw them if he did not think they must be his children he said they were certainly like him but mr blank did not acknowledge the relationship i asked jenny who their mother was minda who their father mr blank what old mr blank no mr blank blank who told you so minda who ought to know mr blank denies it that's because he never has looked upon them nor done a thing for them well 
but he acknowledged Renty as his son, why should he deny these? Because old master was here then, when Renty was born, and he made Betty tell all about it, and Mr. Blank had to own it. But nobody knows anything about this, and so he denies it. With which information I rode home. I always give you an exact report of any conversation I may have with any of the people, and you see from this that the people on the plantation themselves are much of my worthy neighbor Mr. Blank's mind that the death of Major Blank was a great misfortune for the slaves on his estate. I went to the hospital this afternoon to see if the condition of the poor people was at all improved since I had been last there, but nothing had been done. I suppose Mr. Blank is waiting for Mr. Blank to come down in order to speak to him about it. I found some miserable new cases of women disabled by hard work. One poor thing, called Priscilla, had come out of the fields today scarcely able to crawl. She has been losing blood for a whole fortnight without intermission, and until today was laboring in the fields. Lee, another new face since I visited the hospital last, is lying quite helpless from exhaustion. She is advanced in her pregnancy, and doing task-work in the fields at the same time. What piteous existences, to be sure! I do wonder, as I walk among them, well-fed, well-clothed, young, strong, idle, doing nothing but ride and drive about all day, a woman, a creature like themselves, who have borne children too, what sort of feeling they have towards me! I wonder it is not one of murderous hate that they should lie here almost dying with unrepaid labor for me. I stand and look at them, and these thoughts work in my mind and heart, till I feel as if I must tell them how dreadful and how monstrous it seems to me myself, and how bitterly ashamed and grieved I feel for it all. Today I rode in the morning round poor Cripple Jack's bird field again through the sweet, spicy-smelling pine-land, and home by my new road cut through Jones's wood, of which I am as proud as if I had made instead of found it, the grass, flowering shrubs, and all. In the afternoon I drove in the wood-wagon back to Jones's, and visited Boosin Hill on the way, with performances of certain promises of flannel, quarters of dollars, etc., etc. At Jones's, the women to-day had all done their work at a quarter past three, and had swept their huts out very scrupulously for my reception. Their dwellings are shockingly dilapidated and over-crammed, poor creatures, and it seems hard that, while exhorting them to spend labor in cleaning and making them tidy, I cannot promise them that they shall be repaired and made habitable for them. In driving home through my new woodcut, Jack gave me a terrible account of a flogging that a negro called Glasgow had received yesterday. He seemed awfully impressed with it, so I suppose it must have been an unusually severe punishment. But he either would not or could not tell me what the man had done. On my return to the house I found Mr. Blank had come down from the rice plantation, whereat I was much delighted on all accounts. I am sure it is getting much too late for him to remain in that pestilential swampy atmosphere. Besides, I want him to see my improvements in the new wood-paths, and I want him to come and hear all these poor people's complaints and petitions himself. 
they have been flocking in to see him ever since it was known he had arrived i met coming on that errand dandy the husband of the woman for whom i cut out the gown the other day and asking him how it had answered he gave a piteous account of its tearing all to pieces the first time she put it on it had appeared to me perfectly rotten and good for nothing and upon questioning him as to where he bought it and what he paid for it i had to hear a sad account of hardship and injustice i have told you that the people collect moss from the trees and sell it to the shopkeepers in darien for the purpose of stuffing furniture they also raise poultry and are allowed to dispose of the eggs in the same way it seems that poor dandy had taken the miserable material edie's gown was made of as payment for a quantity of moss and eggs furnished by him at various times to one of the darien storekeepers who refused him payment in any other shape and the poor fellow had no redress and this he tells me is a frequent experience with all the slaves both here and at the rice island of course the rascally shopkeepers can cheat these poor wretches to any extent they please with perfect impunity mr Blank told me of a visit renty paid him which was not a little curious in some of its particulars you know none of the slaves are allowed the use of firearms but renty put up a petition to be allowed mr Blank's gun which it seems that gentleman left behind him mr Blank refused this petition saying at the same time to the lad that he knew very well that none of the people were allowed guns renty expostulated on the score of his white blood and finding his master uninfluenced by that consideration departed with some severe reflections on mr Blank, his father for not having left him his gun as a keepsake in token of paternal affection when he left the plantation it is quite late and i am very tired though i have not done much more than usual to-day but the weather is beginning to be oppressive to me who hate heat but i find the people and especially the sick in the hospital speak of it as cold i will tell you hereafter of a most comical account mr Blank has given me of the prolonged and still protracted pseudo-pregnancy of a woman called marky who for many more months than are generally required for the process of continuing the human species pretended to be what the germans pathetically and poetically call in good hope and continued to reap increased rations as the reward of her expectation till she finally had to disappoint the estate and receive a flogging he told me too what interested me very much of a conspiracy among mr Blank's slaves some years ago i cannot tell you about it now i will some other time it is wonderful to me that such attempts are not being made the whole time among these people to regain their liberty probably because many are made ineffectually and never known beyond the limits of the plantation where they take place dear e we have been having something like northern march weather blinding sun blinding wind and blinding dust through all which the day before yesterday mr Blank and i rode together round most of the fields and over the greater part of the plantation it was a detestable process the more so that he rode montreal and i miss kate and we had no small difficulty in managing them both in the afternoon we had an equally detestable drive through the new wood-paths to st annie's and having accomplished all my errands among the people there we crossed over certain sounds and seas and separating waters 
to pay a neighborly visit to the wife of one of our adjacent planters how impossible it would be for you to conceive even if i could describe the careless desolation which pervaded the whole place the shaggy unkempt grounds we passed through to approach the house the ruinous rack-rent tumble-down house itself the untidy slatternly all but beggarly appearance of the mistress of the mansion herself the smallest yankee farmer has a tidier estate a tidier house and a tidier wife than this member of the proud southern chivalry who however inasmuch as he has slaves is undoubtedly a much greater personage in his own estimation than those capital fellows blank and blank who walk in glory and enjoy behind their ploughs upon your mountainsides the brunswick canal project was decanted upon and pronounced without a shadow of dissent a scheme the impracticability of which all but convicted its projectors of insanity certainly if as i hear the moneyed men of boston have gone largely into this speculation their habitual sagacity must have been seriously at fault for here on the spot nobody mentions the project but as a subject of utter derision while the men discussed about this matter mrs Blank favored me with the congratulations i have heard so many times on the subject of my having a white nursery maid for my children of course she went into the old subject of the utter incompetency of negro women to discharge such an office faithfully but in spite of her multiplied examples of their utter inefficiency i believe the discussion ended by simply our both agreeing that ignorant negro girls of twelve years old are not as capable or trustworthy as well-trained white women of thirty returning home our route was changed and quash the boatman took us all the way round by water to hampton i should have told you that our exit was as wild as our entrance to this estate and was made through a broken wooden fence which we had to climb partly over and partly under with some risk and some obloquy in spite of our dexterity as i tore my dress and very nearly fell flat on my face in the process our row home was perfectly enchanting for though the morning's wind and i suppose the state of the tide had roughened the waters of the great river and our passage was not as smooth as it might have been the wind had died away the evening air was deliciously still and mild and soft a young slip of a moon glimmered just above the horizon and the stars climbed up the sapphire steps of heaven while we made our way over the rolling rushing foaming waves and saw to right and left the marsh fires burning in the swampy meadows adding another colored light in the landscape to the amber-tinted lower sky and the violet arch above and giving wild picturesqueness to the whole scene by throwing long flickering rays of flame upon the distant waters sunday the fourteenth i read service again to-day to the people you cannot conceive anything more impressive than the silent devotion of their whole demeanor while it lasted nor more touching than the profound thanks with which they rewarded me when it was over and they took their leave and to-day they again left me with the utmost decorum of deportment and without pressing a single petition or complaint such as they ordinarily thrust upon me on all other occasions which seems to me an instinctive feeling of religious respect for the day and the business they have come upon which does them infinite credit in the afternoon i took a long walk with the chicks in the woods 
long at least for the little legs of blank and blank who carried baby we came home by the shore and i stopped to look at a jutting point just below which a small sort of bay would have afforded the most capital position for a bathing-house if we stayed here late in the season such a refreshment would become almost a necessary of life and anywhere along the bank just where i stopped to examine it to-day an establishment for that purpose might be prosperously founded i am amused but by no means pleased at an entirely new mode of pronouncing which blank has adopted apparently the negro jargon has commended itself as euphonious to her infantile ears and she is now treating me to the most ludicrous and accurate imitations of it every time she opens her mouth of course i shall not allow this comical as it is to become a habit this is the way the southern ladies acquire the thick and inelegant pronunciation which distinguishes their utterances from the northern snuffle and i have no desire that blank should adorn her mother tongue with either peculiarity it is a curious and sad enough thing to observe as i have frequent opportunities of doing the unbounded insolence and tyranny of manner of course it can go no farther of the slaves towards each other hi you boy and hi you girl shouted in an imperious scream is the civilest mode of apostrophizing those at a distance from them more frequently it is you nigger you hear hi you nigger and i assure you no contemptuous white intonation ever equaled the prepotenza of the despotic insolence of this address of these poor wretches to each other i have left my letter lying for a couple of days dear e i have been busy and tired my walking and riding is becoming rather more laborious to me for though nobody here appears to do so i am beginning to feel the relaxing influence of the spring the day before yesterday i took a disagreeable ride all through swampy fields and charred blackened thickets to discover nothing either picturesque or beautiful the woods in one part of the plantation have been on fire for three days and a whole tract of exquisite evergreens has been burnt down to the ground in the afternoon i drove in the wood wagon to visit the people at st annie's there had been rain these last two nights and their wretched hovels do not keep out the weather they are really miserable abodes for human beings i think pigs who were at all particular might object to some of them there is a woman at this settlement called sophie the wife of a driver morris who is so pretty that i often wonder if it is only by contrast that i admire her so much or if her gentle sweet refined face in spite of its dusky color would not approve itself anywhere to any one with an eye for beauty her manner and voice too are peculiarly soft and gentle but indeed the voices of all these poor people men as well as women are much pleasanter and more melodious than the voices of white people in general most of the wretched hovels had been swept and tidied out in expectation of my visit and many were the consequent petitions for rations of meat flannel osnaburgs etc promising all which in due proportion to the cleanliness of each separate dwelling i came away on my way home i called for a moment at jones's settlement to leave money and presents promised to the people there for similar improvement in the condition of their huts i had not time to stay and distribute my benefactions myself 
and so appointed a particularly bright intelligent looking woman called jenny paymistress in my stead and her deputed authority was received with the utmost cheerfulness by them all i have been having a long talk with mr blank about ben and daphne those two young mulatto children of mr blank's whom i mentioned to you lately poor pretty children they have refined and sensitive faces as well as straight regular features and the expression of the girl's countenance as well as the sound of her voice and the sad humility of her deportment are indescribably touching mr blank expressed the strongest interest in and pity for them because of their color it seems unjust almost to the rest of their fellow unfortunates that this should be so and yet it is almost impossible to resist the impression of the unfitness of these two forlorn young creatures for the life of coarse labor and dreadful degradation to which they are destined in any of the southern cities the girl would be pretty sure to be reserved for a worse fate but even here death seems to me a thousand times preferable to the life that is before her in the afternoon i rode with mr blank to look at the fire in the woods we did not approach it but stood where the great volumes of smoke could be seen rising steadily above the pines as they have now continued to do for upwards of a week the destruction of the pine timber must be something enormous we then went to visit dr and mrs blank and wound up these exercises of civilized life by a call on dear old mr blank whose nursery and kitchen garden are a real refreshment to my spirits how completely the national character of the worthy canny old scot is stamped on the care and thrift visible in his whole property the judicious successful culture of which has improved and adorned his dwelling in this remote corner of the earth the comparison or rather contrast between himself and his quondam neighbor major blank is curious enough to contemplate the scotch tendency of the one to turn everything to good account the irish propensity of the other to leave everything to ruin to disorder and neglect the careful economy and prudent management of the mercantile man the reckless profusion and careless extravagance of the soldier the one made a splendid fortune and spent it in philadelphia where he built one of the finest houses that existed there in the old-fashioned days when fine old family mansions were still to be seen breaking the monotonous uniformity of the quaker city the other has resided here on his estate ameliorating the condition of his slaves and his property a benefactor to the people and the soil alike a useful and a good existence an obscure and tranquil one end of section twenty recording by james k white chula vista